Good job. I want to see if so the use of slides helps us just engage and, and learn more and gain more. So it's, it's a, a teaching technique that I'd love your feedback on. If it's distracting, don't tell me during. Just cope this morning. If it's distracting, I'd love to hear afterwards. If it's really helpful, I'd love to hear afterwards. If it's neither here nor there, then feel free not to say anything at all or tell me. That's fine. So uh, um, any surfers amongst us? I know Jeff, you love getting on the board and Fiona. Um, I, I don't surf, but in my life, I've been in the surf many, many times. I've actually tried to surf and I've surfed like successfully twice. I don't think that qualifies me as a surfer. But one of those times, the waves were quite big and I fell off and I got dunked and the wave barreled over me and I had what was quite a scary experience. And you don't necessarily need to be a surfer or in the surf to understand this, but I was thrown to the bottom of the ocean and, and, and sort of the wind was, was puffed out of me and I'm underwater and I realise that I'm in trouble. You know those moments when all of time slows down and you have lots of mini thoughts in the space of a second or less. And I had this thought, I'm in, I'm in trouble. And my lungs started to burn and I was disoriented. I didn't know which way was up. And I, I, I realized, I had that clarity of moment of, oh no, wow, this is really bad. And as I thought that, my feet hit the bottom. And I wasn't standing up, obviously. I was sort of like laying down. My feet hit the bottom, I went, ah, if I know where the bottom is, I can push up and get the breath that I need. And so I did, and I pushed up, and thankfully by this time the second wave had come over my head, and I was able to take that huge breath. But you know that agony when you just need to breathe and you can't? And then all of a sudden there's that moment of oh, relief and fullness as oxygen kind of pours back into your body. You might remember doing it as a kid, seeing how long you could hold your breath for. You've done that too? Yeah. How long did you get? Two or three minutes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We can feel like that in life. We just need to take a breath. That everything keeps coming, the waves keep coming, and we keep getting pushed down. And we're not sure where bottom is to push ourselves up. And we can't get that breath and fill our spiritual lungs as much as we'd like to. Well, that's the picture that's painted for us in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. There's a television show that we're going to talk about this morning that you may or may not have had a chance to watch. It's called The Chosen. And it's what this TV show that's a streaming service, it was a television show that they made for the internet. So you can't find it on television, you can only find it on the internet. And it's a man called Dallas Jenkins. It was his idea. He's a screenwriter, director, producer. And he pulled some Christians together. He pitched them the idea. They said, let's do it. I wonder if anybody else in the world is interested in this idea. They then put it out to the world and millions of dollars started streaming in. And they put all of that money into producing a retelling of Jesus' life. It's all based around the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's all about Jesus. And the first screen, when you watch it, has sort of a disclaimer. And I realize this might be a little bit hard to see. This is taken directly off the screen. It says, The Chosen, which is the name of the show, 
is based on stories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some locations and timelines have been combined or condensed. Backstories and some characters or dialogue have been added. However, all biblical and historical context and any artistic imagination are designed to support the truth and the intention of the scriptures. Viewers are encouraged to read the Gospels. The original names, locations and phrases have been transliterated into English for anything that is spoken. So the first thing I want to say about The Chosen is this show is not a replacement of the Gospels. You can't watch this and then say, I've just read the Bible. The Chosen is a preaching of the Gospels that allows us a different entry point into the life of Jesus. And so if you haven't watched, has anyone watched it yet? A couple of you? I'd encourage all of you, if you have the ability to, to watch it. And if you think, oh, I don't have the ability, but I'd love to come to a screening of it, we can show. It's, there's, there's a number of episodes, and today we're just looking at episode one. But it's why we're spending four weeks on it. Because in many ways, our lives should be the same. Our lives are not a replacement of the gospel. We cannot save people. Our lives should preach the gospel, allowing others a different entry point into the life of Jesus, which is so needed. Because not only us need to take a breath and breathe, but your friends, your neighbours, your family members who don't know Jesus, they absolutely need a chance to get out of the water and breathe the breath of God. Because to live life is to live under pressure and expectations of many things. That is what it is to live life. We, however, choose what they are. We sometimes don't think we have the opportunity to choose, but we do. Which is the picture that's painted for us in the Gospels. It's revealed so compellingly by the Chosen. If you watch the Chosen, you'll realise that the, what the culture was like of the time and taxation was suffocating. Roman rule was so powerful, they did what they wanted. The economy, it was ruthless and unforgiving. People were struggling with physical and spiritual ailments that there was no healing for. Corruption was rife. And if you weren't at the top of society, then you would lose, quite simply. And I talk to people now, in our day and age, right now, who don't have those gripes, but they have different issues, but all under the same banner. Some people say, I'm suffocated by the government's mandates. I'm, I'm anxious about the spread of this pandemic and what it means. I'm grieving the loss of my health or of a relationship. I'm fearful about merging the church and what that means. I'm imprisoned to mental illness. I'm enslaved to sin that I've allowed to fester. I feel my heart is just cold. It's just not warm to the things God's warm to. I feel guilty or shameful about aspects of my past. And I hear different renditions of this throughout all of society, not just the church, but through all walks of life. We are feeling suffocated, just like they were in Jesus' time. We just need to catch our breath. 
Now, when you watch the stories portrayed in Scripture, you see the desperate need for people to catch their breath. And the way they tried to catch their breath was through the law. They felt the law could save them. So they followed the law. They were religious to the law. They were obedient to the law. Everything that the first five books of our Old Testament said, a good Jewish person tried and attempted to do, knowing that would save them, that would give them the breath they were so longing for. And in trying, they became more and more suffocated. They became unable to satisfy the things that the law required. They just couldn't breathe under the weight of it. They just wanted that breath back, that breath back that Genesis talks about. And Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. We are created to breathe God's breath. We are created not to be suffocated, not to be drowning, not to be overwhelmed, but to be free. And humankind has sought after this breath constantly, which if you watch The Chosen, it captures so powerfully, so brilliantly. And we're introduced to a man called Nicodemus. If you watch the show, this is Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus in the show, but also in life, in the, in the reflections of the scriptures, he was a Pharisee. He was one of the top Pharisees. He's, he's the one that everybody looked to. Everybody would look to Nicodemus for guidance, to know what to do. Everybody would rely and hang on his every word. And all is well for Nicodemus until the Romans turn up and say, we need you to come with us. There's a woman who has been possessed by demons. We need you to exorcise her. And you realize that Nicodemus starts to feel very insecure, very vulnerable. He doesn't want to go. He resists. He tries to get out of it. And the retort from the Romans is, you're the holy man. Like, have you not got the power? And so with fear and trepidation, he meets this woman who is possessed and he attempts to exorcise the demon from her. And in the midst of this taking place, the demon speaks to Nicodemus and the demon says these words. You have no power here, teacher. You have no power here. And there's this moment where you realize that Nicodemus agrees he realizes that what the, the demon is saying is accurate, is correct, is true, and he's utterly terrified about the truth of this statement. And as such, it begins to unravel his theology, which leads him ultimately to the conversation that he has with Jesus that Sandra shared before. So I want to watch a scene now. It's just a couple of minutes scene from The Chosen, which is the conversation Nicodemus has with his wife as he's reflecting on the situation of him just trying to exercise the demon. Let's watch the screen. We'll be late to dinner. Mm -hmm. You did everything you could for her. Now put it down in your mind. Tonight, you are an honored guest, 
leaders will expect you to perform and to have your wits about you. Why? Why must I perform? Must I perform for Quintus? You taught God's law. Soldiers, they perform for the slum dwellers. And this, what sort of performance is this? When did Shabbat become you are the teacher of Israel. You do not have questions, you have answers. You have authority. You bring clarity, not confusion. You need to stop running around. Not even God himself could have driven them out. That's his conclusion. It's because Nicodemus is convinced that when we follow God's law, God is alive in us and he lives through us if we follow the law. That's what Nicodemus believed. Yet he experiences a situation when the law does not have the power to save him. He cannot be saved. He needs to come up for breath, but he doesn't know how. He doesn't know which way is up. He doesn't know how to get out from under the weight of the law that he's feeling. Now, while all of this is taking place, we also track along with the story of the woman who was possessed. 
And her name is a familiar name. Her name is Mary Magdalene. And the show starts with her sitting with her father who is dying and her father is telling her not to fear. And as her father tells her not to fear, he gives her some words that are from the prophet Isaiah. For actually, they're actually from Isaiah 43 verse 1. He says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And then he gets his daughter, Mary, to repeat these words, to embed them in her spirit, to renew her, to strengthen her, to give her courage. Then many years later, Mary finds herself possessed. She is possessed by many demons who torment her and then leave her and then return and then leave her. And this, this um, rhythm or seasons has been going on for quite some time. She is the woman who Nicodemus goes to and tries to exercise. And in a moment of rare relief, she has a moment of clarity and relief and she realizes she needs to end it all. And so in the, in the show, she moves to a cliff to throw herself off the cliff. And as she's there, she has in her hand a piece of paper. And on the piece of paper is Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And she's heartbroken. And she's weeping. And she's looking at these words and realizes that the words have failed her. These words did not have the power. And so the words sort of slip from her hand into the wind and you realize what's going to happen next. And as that's about to happen, a dove flies overhead, the Holy Spirit. And she catches her attention and she looks at the dove and then decides in a moment of being mesmerized by this dove to follow the dove. And so she follows the dove all the way to a tavern. And she goes into the tavern and so confused and not, not sure what's happening, she goes to the bar to get a drink. And she has a, has a drink and she has the drink in her hand and she is desperate, desperate for a breath. She is desperate to come up and take a breath, but she can't find a way to do that. She, and into this situation, Jesus turns up. And Jesus meets her and she encounters Jesus for the first time. And you get this feeling, as I hope you'll get in a moment when we watch the scene, that Jesus brings the breath of God back into her life and breathes again fresh, spirit-filled breath into her life and everything changes. And it's such a powerful scene. I'd like us to, um, to enjoy that together. This is Mary.
everything up in, to the point of this scene is oppression and beaten down and anger and stifledness and suffocation. And then Jesus appears and you're watching this and you realize you can finally breathe. And you're taken into the Gospels when people met Jesus and they realized they could finally breathe. That no one other than Jesus would enable us to be able to take those spiritual breaths that we so long for and we so desire. Jesus later on in John 10, 10, says the thief, he comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life, then you may have it to the full. And we see in Mary's life that everything has been stolen until Jesus restores her very breath. And I wonder this morning, maybe you're feeling suffocated. Maybe you're feeling like something has been stolen or taken from you. Maybe you're feeling like something in your life is being destroyed and Jesus wants to meet you this morning and breathe his breath of life into you again to restore you, to give you life and life to the full with no promise that everything will be okay, but with a promise that he will be with you always until the very end of the age. So regardless of your story, or your shame, or your baggage, or your pain, or your doubt, or your distress, or your reasons, Jesus wants to meet with each of us today, right now. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can be in this special place this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would come close to us, Jesus. You would meet us like you met Mary. You would breathe again into our souls. You would remove from us every worry and concern, every point of anguish and anxiety, it would be gone. The Lord, we would know your love right now. And Holy Spirit, as we sit here in this moment, minister to us. Help us. Meet us right now. Lord, not only do we pray that you might meet us, but we pray and ask that you would go with us into this day, into this week, into this year, that we would be rid of fear because of you. We would not return to the things you have taken from us because of you. We would not worry anymore because of you. 
So Lord, hold our gaze, hold our sight on you, we pray. And prepare our spirits now to dine with you over communion, to break bread with you, to share a cup with you, to commune with you. And we ask this in your glorious name.